Many of the listeners here at the Tech Emergence Podcast will be familiar with the notion of the singularity uh, in the terms of Ray Kurzweil or Werner Vinge, the point at which our society and, and interactions are so drastically changed by our technologies as to never be able to return. Clearly a, a vague and open-ended scenario, um, one that some folks believe to be uh, very much likely in the coming decades ahead and, and others not so much. The fellow who I have on the show with me today here in the Tech Emergence Podcast is the author of a book called Singularity Rising. He's an economics professor at Smith College. James D. Miller uh, speaks with us today around what some of the economic thresholds might be and factors might be as we enter a world that is increasingly automated and a world where technological development speeds up faster and faster and faster. What does that imply for the economics of our own country, our own job security, and and uh, the situation of our own job market in addition to that of the globe and how we interact with other nations and how the job market at large and the role of humanity versus technology in the job market at large is influenced. Certainly an interesting conversation and one that we haven't had anything quite like yet here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. So without further ado, we'll roll directly into the episode. I really wanted to kick things off by asking you, you know, we're going to be talking about the economic influences on the singularity, a topic that we've talked about on a number of occasions here on the podcast. Um, I realize it's also a term that might have varied definitions depending on which author or writer is referring to it. When, when you talk about the singularity, Jim, what are, what are you referring to? How do you define it? Sure. I, I just define it generally as a period of time at which an increase in human or machine intelligence radically changes civilization. Maybe Got it brings it. us utopia, maybe it destroys us. Okay, cool. So, so uh, the, the, the um, you know, we had talked before about the foom, like the AI foom. So this is the the, the radical and swift transformation of society as we know it all together uh, based on kind of technological or in, an enhancement in, in intelligence, whether that be something built outside of ourselves or an enhancement of ourselves? Yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay. Any possible singularities we could have. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and who the heck knows? So, um, okay, got it. So we'll begin there. And I know economics obviously is your world, you know, with your doctorate from the University of Chicago, and, and obviously that's what you – teach now, particularly economics around emerging tech. Um, a lot of the same economics principles that have you know, got us through the, the Industrial Revolution, I imagine, will be the same forces at play that drive us uh, through the, the deeper transitions in technology, in technology policy, uh, business, etc., towards you know, what we would call the singularity. Um, how, how do those economic forces sort of bring us in that direction? I, I figured you'd be able to to kind of paint this picture a little bit better than I. Sure. Well, these are the economic forces identified by Adam Smith. They're individual self-interest. They're companies trying to satisfy consumer needs so they can gain profit. So, you know, you have um, you know, a company that can make a better product, that can make a cheaper product, that can deliver a better service, will earn more profit, and they'll gather resources, and they'll advance in the marketplace. Yep. So simply put, you know, if Google comes up with better ways of figuring out what you want to when you search on them, they'll learn a higher profit. Yep. If a company can come up with robots that can build things cheaper than people can, it'll gain market share. Got it. So, so the those those same, uh, yeah, again, Adam Smithian notions uh, that have driven us thus far, kind of bringing us beyond. Um, are there are there any examples of that that you maybe see uh, happening now in particular technology sectors? You, you had mentioned uh, robotics and AI. Uh, right then and there, 
Um, are are there already sort of those transitional forces applying themselves in 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 our our current uh, economic landscape that you sort of see as potentially precursors towards the the grander technological shifts um, to well, to where we're headed. Well, I mean, yeah, but it, it's sort of mundane. I mean, like the iPhones huh. have you know faster computer chips now than they did before. All of the money we spend on electronic gadgets, you know, creates incentives for Intel to develop faster computer chips. Yeah, and you know, this is interesting, Jim. Does this does this um does this bring important questions to bear around policy, right? Because how, how businesses can roll forth technologies and, and release technologies and market and compete and, uh, you know, monopolize or whatever the case may be, um, may in fact influence the social shifts that we see here on the ground. Um, d- does does the, the potential risk or maybe the potential grand reward of, of a singularity-like event um, make... Uh, a kind of safer, more tentative economic policy, more or less viable? You know, if, if the rest of the world doesn't do that, does it make it weaker in some sense? What are your thoughts around, you know, to, to some degree, you know, Adam Smith's shtick uh, is as real a shtick today as it ever was. Um, in, in many other cases, presumably, um, laws have sort of changed the business landscape. I mean, if, if, if they didn't, um, I'm sure, you know, I'm nearly sure that Standard Oil would, would, you know, have a good, a good likelihood of being around because Exxon is, and, uh, they'd probably have a lot more of the stuff for themselves or, or there might be other technologies in the medical domain, for example, that would be released earlier rather than later unless certain policies were set in place. Do you think it's, it's worthwhile to sort of change the, the rules of the game board here, uh, as it, the economy rolls forward? Because we're we're talking not just about lighting up homes with lamps like we were with Rockefeller, uh, but but maybe you know altering what life is uh, with neurotech or artificial intelligence. Are there any ramifications, kind of governmentally, that maybe we should reconsider in terms of economics? Well, I mean that's a hard question. Because sure is. Depend on whether you think the singularity is leading is going to be great or horrible. <laughs> yeah. If you think the singularity is going to be great, then we should be speeding up technological development, which my guess the best thing the government could do there would be to lower taxes on, on businesses. Yep. If you think the singularity is going to be horrible, then yeah, we should you know do whatever we can to slow down technological development. Of course, as you mentioned, it's much harder in an international arena because the United States decided, oh, we don't want to you know develop computer chips that go any faster than we have now. China will say, oh, good, we'll do it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. The international marketplace makes it much harder for individual governments to slow down their high-tech sector because they'll technology to other countries. So in some ways, Adam Smith's laws apply more now to our world than to his because so much more of the world is connected to the global economy. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It, um, you know, I mean, you had mentioned, you had mentioned, you know, it depends on whether you think the singularity is going to be great or horrible. I mean, you know, if you don't know, um, what probably happens is policy sort of stays the same and doesn't really take it into consideration, I guess, right? I mean, or, or are there, hey, either way, here's maybe what, you know, either way, given the potential big risks or big wins, here's what we should do. I mean, are there any of those? Or is it like, well, if you're not sure, then policy just doesn't darn change. No, I think this is one of those questions you have to answer. I think probably the best policy is maybe, you know, invest more money in AI safety to figure we're going to be developing smarter and smarter computers 
So let's put more resources into seeing that it goes right. Yeah. We also have to remember that a lot of things can go wrong besides us developing unfriendly artificial intelligence. Oh, for sure. Friendly artificial intelligence can save us from those bad things. Yeah. So going slow with AI and computers isn't necessarily the same course. No, it's not. It's, not. it's definitely not. The plague, you know, the weaponized smallpox released by North Korea kills us. Yep. So it's not even clear if you're really cautious and want to take it safe what you should do. No, no, it's of course not. I mean, well, this is the real world, right? There, there really aren't that many black and whites. Um, so it's, it's about making those tentative best swings at what the best future would look like. You know, this is a bit far out, uh, but, but do you think that that implies some semblance of world governance? If we're ever going to be on a similar page with respect to, hey, here's the things that appear to be most likely to be most dangerous uh, without really as many upsides, and here's the technologies that don't really seem to have any horrendous downside in developing, and we should really have this be, uh, you know, we, we should really prevent, you know, it, it doesn't make much sense for any company or any company or, or country to be able to, develop this past X point um, without, you know, some serious consequences because they're going to be endangering everybody, does that imply world governance? Like you said, I mean, in today's day and age, man, you know, back in, in Adam Smith's day, if, if England wanted to change its economic policy, you know, I mean, in, unless, you're, unless you're trading spices, uh, you're, that, the whole game board has just changed for you. You know, in today's global economy, like you said, if it gets shut down in America, you could just move to Singapore and open up the same business. Um, you know, world government is, is it's very unlikely, except for one circumstance. I don't think countries can coordinate very well. The only way we're likely to get world government, and I imagine a lot of your listeners are going to hate this, but it's basically for the United States to develop some technology that allows it to conquer the world. I don't see any other way of coordinating. Wow, that's really <laughs> maybe maybe not the answer I was expecting. But uh, but you, you should, <laughs> so and and uh, it doesn't sound well. Yeah, so this is interesting. So basically, we have to kind of pull an Alexander and uh, and kind of conquer. I say we. I don't really mean that. But uh, you know, the the strongest nation, which at, at this point is 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 the United States, would uh, would conquer the other lands and. Sort of allow them to keep their culture, but make sure that uh, that they've been sort of uh, taken into this grander umbrella where governance can be similar. I mean, is is this what you're referring to? Like, this would have to be by force? Yeah, I mean, you can imagine. You know, in thirty years, let's say we we, we continue AI development, and hopefully, I wasn't. I'm an American, so I'll say hopefully the United States is ahead. We develop. You know, our military technology is great enough where we can conquer the world, but we come to the realization that, like, oh, wait, in five years, you know, someone's going to make a mistake and create an AI that destroys everything. There's no way we'll get an international agreement because we'll literally have to check in every single basement. That's what I'm saying. That's what so, I'm saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the United States basically establishes a dictatorship. That might be the best case scenario if the technological roadmap is very dangerous. Of course, the Chinese will be thinking the same thing and they'll, you know, they'll, First. Yeah. Oh man. I. I. I, uh, I, I. I. really. I really. I really hate that. The. The, the swallowing of that pill. But. Uh, I mean. Who. Who knows? Neither you nor I. I suppose. But it's. It's interesting to note that that's at least a possibility. You know, we would be violating rights, but. But maybe doing the most aggregate good in a utilitarian sense. At the same time, is it even remotely conceivable that we could get on the same page about certain things and. You know, uh, have have different languages and 
different meals for breakfast not make us want to kill each other? I mean, I would really, uh, I, I would, I would, I would, uh, we'll move on to the next question, but I, I would hope in my, in the, in the depths of my heart that we could sort of over, overcome our, our tribalism and put ourselves on the same page before, before it had to be a forced shebang. But, but, you know, to be frank, I, I'm not, I'm not a blind optimist and I'll say that, you know, maybe, maybe it's got to be something more gruff than that, you know, less well, idealistic. Is a test. If we can, you know, we don't see do anything serious about that. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I would agree with you there. I would agree with you there. I think I think global warming is a test. Um, I just don't think you know you know what it is, James. Uh, is there, you know, we could argue that there has been, but I'll give you my my perspective, and that that there effing hasn't been any kind of Pearl Harbor with respect to uh, global warming. You know what I mean? It's not the same. They, they they haven't hit us. You know what I mean? Like. Like the, the polar bears haven't run down from the Arctic and killed everybody. You know, New York is not underwater yet. You know, so there's it's it's not going to cut the mustard. You know, the 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 populace, if we speak about humanity at large, uh, doesn't sort of wake up at large and look in one direction unless something big and horrendous happens. Uh, and and I I I really I really kind of hate that aspect of the human condition as well. But hey, it, it is it is what it is. Um, I I certainly hope that we can marshal our resources without. A big emergency, because uh, I think we'll be better off. But shucks, you know that's that's the way that cookie crumbles. Anyway, moving along, I, I, that was that was a that was an, an interesting little little road that we walked down there. Um, moving along with respect to uh, economics, I'm interested in your perspective on the labor market. You know, there's a lot of thought here, and not always by you know PhD economists um, around the uh, the transitions in technology and how they will influence. Um, the labor market itself, you know, unemployment to the degree that it's at now or where it might be in the future. What are the trends, you know, right now here today in, in, in this very moment, uh, Jim, that, that for you represent um, maybe the grandest threats to the labor market or unemployment? And if you're more optimistic and you think that things will get better in terms of employment percentages, um, you can lean in that direction as well. But what, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, how those economic, how technology forces are, are influencing the labor market from an economics perspective today? Sure. Well, first, the long-term trends are that there's increasing value to being highly skilled, but a decreasing value to being merely strong and a hard worker. So, 50 years ago, you know, if you were a strong, hardworking, reliable American, you could have a good living, even if you had an IQ of 90. That's steadily changing. The advantage to being really, really smart keeps going up. And the advantage, you know, the, the disadvantage of not being smarter has gone down. So unskilled labor or, or labor that's skilled merely physically mostly is, has suffered. And that trend is probably going to continue, although we don't know for sure. But it's certainly possible, for example, someone could come up with an AI that's great at writing. So, you know, a lot of people, like a lot of lawyers, lose their jobs because you get computers that can... No, I, I think so. I mean, there's already programs that do the very manual sifting through the law books type of work that they used to need, you know, the underlings to do. There's there's software that pulls that off today to some degree. So I think you're right. It's not just lifting heavy stuff. Yeah. I mean, it was easier, I guess, to get to, get to automate on non-skilled jobs. Yep. But that, that might change, so it's hard to know. But I think a key mistake people make in looking at the labor market is recognizing that work is a bad thing for most people. So if we can get machines to do our work for us, that's great. And you know, if people don't have jobs because there isn't a need, that's great because people can do other things with their lives. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the economic utopia, you know, absent like godlike AIs that change our brains, is that machines do all of our work, all the necessary work. We can still do work. You still can do art. You can still build things if you wanted to, but you don't have to. And that's that's I, that that would be a great outcome. So it, it we could can be, get yeah. machines to cheaply do stuff for us, and yay. So okay, so so for you, and I've heard this this notion articulated a number of occasions. You know, and I think some people would still maybe be a, a little bit tentative and afraid, like, geez, we really think that if there's machines, you know, building the bridges and, uh, you know, writing the, uh, you know, uh, com- communicating with each other to keep, you know, all the, the various systems running and going in and fixing the plumbing and, and uh, handling the legal battles, if there's machines doing all that, um, are, are we really going to be around for very long? I guess there's that perspective, and, and we don't quite know. But on, on the other hand, and, and we don't know, on the other hand... Um, Maybe a, a jobless world, assuming that people have some kind of base level means of subsisting, you know, in terms of food and, and maybe some discretionary income or maybe everything's so cheap that we move beyond that. Who knows? Um, that, that's a little bit farther out. Maybe that is better. So, um, But, of, of course, you know, it's, it would appear, at least now, James, that in the shorter term, it, it maybe isn't better, um, you know, at least for the next maybe five or ten and maybe a lot longer. I'm not really sure. Um, if you're, if you're without a job, it is far from utopia. And even if you hate, you know, uh, welding pipes, you know, you're still more pissed that a robot welds a better pipe than you, uh, because now you gotta, you know, um, you know, you gotta try to flip burgers to go feed your couple kids. Yeah, that is true. Although you have to be careful if a computer, let's say if robots start doing work that humans used to do, yes. that means the robots are, are doing the work cheaper. So that means consumers have more money to spend, and that will automatically create more jobs. There's something in economics called the broken window fallacy, where you know you see a window is broken, and then you'll see someone fixing it. So you'll think, oh, great, bro- broken windows help the economy because it causes there to be jobs for people to fix windows. But not really. Because the household that spent the money fixing the window, that money came from somewhere. Maybe they, they didn't spend that money going out to a restaurant. So to some extent, when robots destroy jobs, they almost automatically create new ones. That, that's, like, that's interesting. So, I mean, things, I mean, you know, America is, the world is getting a lot richer. And even poor people are on average I mean, generally getting richer, especially if you look at consumption. If you look at what people can buy quality of the goods people can buy now are better than any time in well, human existence. It's, it's literally obscene. I mean, you know, you can be on welfare and have an iPhone and, and have, yeah. you know, the, the craziest dish television, you know, in town and, and, a, and a pretty reasonable, you know, for tourists if you really want. Um, and, well, like, and not even that, but you get, you know, Wikipedia, YouTube, you get all this great entertainment for free. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's likely to continue. So... so Okay, no, yeah, I was just going to say, in, in, the, in the short term, are you uh, more, pessimistic, uh, more pessimistic about the, the coming five or ten in terms of uh, uh, automation and, and robotics in terms of taking jobs? Or are you generally of the belief that sort of the cushion will be created as jobs get pushed elsewhere and, and money gets pushed elsewhere? There's going to be more people going out to eat, more people buying video games. Someone needs to design those. More people um, you know, going on vacation. You know, more people flying airplanes and uh, flying in airplanes. Um, are are you more optimistic in that sense, even in the next five to ten? Um, uh, uh, yeah, I am. I am optimistic. I, I think that 
if we get more, te- I mean, if we get more technological growth, that will help most workers. Got it. Especially in rich countries. Um, so. Okay. Yeah, I, I am, I'm, I think Do you think in, in general yeah. that'll be the case? And and you know what we haven't touched on now is a, is the I suppose a little bit farther out um, kind of perspective on the labor market leading us towards a grander sort of technological future of, of bigger shifts than we're talking about today. You know, not just like a smaller phone or or uh, you know a, a headset that lets you you know shoot people in virtual reality, um, but but. Uh, the, the more singularity type scenario of which we, we can't exactly define but would, would involve these more you know gargantuan and radical changes. Um, what do you see as the, 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 the labor market concerns or considerations a little bit farther down the road leading towards something uh, like that? Well, I think what's likely to happen is that um, most people won't be able to make a significant contribution to the economy. So if you imagine we have the same level of government spending, that I mean, the government spends as much on welfare as it, you know, as a percentage of the economy in the future as it does now, then you can imagine your 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 welfare check would be a hundred times bigger what you, than what you could ever earn, because the economy is richer and because computers are just they're, they're doing so much things that are faster, more reliable than what you're doing. So a lot of people, even if they could get jobs, wouldn't want to unless they got some intrinsic enjoyment from them. Huh. Now, I mean, I, I now you would understand this much better than I. I mean, we hear about the the national deficit uh, and and debt to other nations all the time. Um, it would seem as though you know the the just ramping up how much welfare you know how much you get in your welfare check and how many people are on it may sort of have a limit in some sense. Oh, it does have a limit, but I'm keeping it constant as a percent of the economy. Got it. So if the economy keeps growing, and you know that that's. And the government gives the same amount away in transfer payments. Those transfer payments will be worth more, more and more. Got it. Even what you can buy. Yep. Um, so, and now, so do you see? Like, I know some folks see that there may be some kind of a a hurdle on the way towards. Let's say there is a jobless future where, you know, who knows? We all plug into something and and zip away into the cyber world, or or maybe there are robots that are doing, you know. Basically, every you know everything that that folks are doing today, you know, fixing the pipes, feeding the cat, uh, watering the plants, um, d- you know, bickering for the legal arguments. Um, to get to a place like like that, as an example, um, would would there need to be a big lull, or might we be able to sort of land that plane safely if if done right, or would it inherently imply kind of a big gap where? A lot of folks are without, you know, jobs as as more stuff gets automated, but the pickup of that stuff uh, getting fed back to the government isn't quite there yet. And people, you know, I, I think I was talking to, to Martin Ford, uh, who um, who has a book on sort of robotics and uh, and and economic forces having to deal with the labor market, um, and he had mentioned the potential of there being some sort of a major dip as being, you know relatively likely in ever getting to a position that grand, that there was something like that during the Industrial Revolution. Now, I'm not exactly familiar. I'm not a student of the Industrial Revolution per se, but um, do, do you see that as inherent, or, or do you think that we might be able to kind of cruise in there? I think, I think we could cruise in there. I mean, for me not to be able to get a job anywhere, that means even, say, you know, I can, I can always lower how much I charge people. 
So the only way I won't be able to get a job is if it's not worth anyone's time to hire me. Yeah. But think what that would mean to someone else who can't get a job. Why are they not willing to hire me? They're going to robots too. I mean, you can imagine like a group of 100 people say, gee, none of us have jobs. We all have skills. Let's just trade among each other. Huh. So you could say, well, gee, I'm an out-of-work doctor. You're an out-of-work dentist. He's an out-of-work lawyer. Well, why don't we just work for each other and pay, you know, we could barter and essentially the economy would arrange it. If you don't need to do that, that means the out-of-work doctor is getting free dental care or getting dental care really, really cheaply. Huh. So, oh, go on. yeah, no, are, are you saying so it might be, you know, assuming there's a lot of out-of-work smart folks and, and they, there happen to be more and more and more of them, um, assuming we still have roofs over our heads and, and things along those lines that maybe before the big economic windfall of the robots creating, you know, gargantuan amounts of wealth, um, maybe, maybe before that windfall, um, there would be a period where there'd be kind of a bartering economy amongst the folks that did have jobs but now don't, and that we'd, we'd be able to kind of get by with that. I'm not predicting that. I think that probably won't happen, but they, since it could, that sets a lower bound on how bad things can get. Okay, got it, got it. No, I, I, I appreciate the so clarity. It's like, it, yeah, it's very unlikely to happen, but that is a possibility where, you know, 10,000 people who are unemployed and are just, you know, have skills can say, hey, let's all just trade with each other. Robots won't stop that. And so if they're, the only reason they wouldn't do that is because they wouldn't get any benefit from doing it, meaning they're all getting all the services they need. Huh. Okay, okay, got it, got it. So, so and again, we're, we're leaning back to these very old economics forces, right, of, of self-interest and whatnot. But that yeah. if, if something like that were the case, maybe, like you said, it sets a lower bound on, on the worst case uh, than maybe some folks would expect. Understood. Right. Okay. Well, that's an important uh, point point of clarity. James, I know we're just about uh, on time. I, I certainly uh, appreciate you being able to be here on the podcast and sharing your insights with us. If people want to learn more from you online or, or research this topic altogether, uh, where, where, where do you recommend that they go on the net? Um, well, sure. Well, I, I wrote a book called Singularity Rising. Yep. Um, it's available on, on Amazon. Um, and I have a webpage. You can go to jamesdmiller.org. Cool. Very good. So that's where they can find you. All, all the, the book, I'm sure, is in the intro as well, so you guys can check out Singularity Rising. James, thank you again for being here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. All right. Well, thank you for having me. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.